Paul says to Timothy, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. This is the word of Almighty God. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for the opportunity for us to feed on your word this morning as it is read and preached. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts and minds so that we could be fed uh, spiritually this morning from your word. As this text uh, reads, um, we ask, Lord, that you would grant us meekness and gentleness Lord, as we interact with those all around us that stand in direct opposition uh, to the truth of the gospel, we have every reason to be humble and meek towards them because uh, we are waiting for you to grant them repentance, to grant them a change of mind and heart and will so that they could know the gospel And so that they could actually come to their senses because they've been taken captive uh, by the devil, ensnared by the devil to do his will as we all were once captivated and captive to him. But those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, we are now your captives. We thank you, Lord, that you have mysteriously bent our wills to your will. And so there's nothing for us to boast in. Uh, We ask, Lord, that you would just open up our minds this morning, help us to understand this beautiful doctrine of grace. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. All righty. I, in sharing this particular doctrine this morning, we're looking at God's grace of repentance And um, I'm going to be intertwining this message with some of my testimony. And this is likely to become um, a little bit of a series. Um, I'm not proposing to finish the doctrine of repentance in one message, but we're going to give an overview and raise some questions, hopefully try to answer some questions and uh, and then pick it up over the next few messages Um, But part of my story involves, I came to know the Lord at 14, but before I was 14, I had many um, repentances, you might call it. Uh, The Lord had brought my living babysitter to live with us in our home when I was about eight years old, and I heard the gospel from Mammer, we called her, over the course from eight to about 14, and there were many times that I remember being overwhelmed with a fear of hell, a fear of the return of Christ. In fact, one time I came home from school and I walked into the kitchen and I found a pot boiling on the stove and I could not find Mammer anywhere. And I was just convinced that the rapture had come and I was left behind and I went running around the house and turns out she was next door and just forgot that she had left the pot boiling. And so I, I, I remember repenting, so to speak, and asking the Lord to forgive me of my sins. Uh, but it was only a couple weeks later that I was back, you know, doing the same old things um, that I, I was doing as a 
you know, 12, 13-year-old. You might not think 12, 13-year-olds could get into a lot of sin, but um, I did. And, um, but then <clears throat> I remember one day I was in my room watching uh, The Fall Guy. That dates me a little bit. And Mammer was going to be moving out of our home uh, in about a week, and she asked me to come in and watch Chuck. And Chuck was Chuck Smith on KCOP Channel 13 in Orange County. And I didn't really want to go in there and watch Chuck. I was into my program, The Fall Guy. But to kind of please her, I went in and I watched Chuck Smith preach another message on the rapture and another message on Christ's all-sufficient death on the cross. And like many other times before, I went into my room and I got on my knees and I asked Jesus to save me from my sins. And I talked to the Lord about my sins. There was no great emotional experience. It's not like the lights opened up in my room. In fact, I, I remember going to bed with kind of a, uh, a very non-emotional thought in my head that I guess this means that my lusts must change. And I went to bed that night. Um, with a thought that my lust must change and my anger must change. And I don't know what it was that was different other than the fact that the Holy Spirit did something in my heart at 14 years old. And when I went back to school, um, I think this was on Christmas break. We used to call it Christmas break back then. And um, I went back to school and there was clearly a difference in my life. There was a reorientation that came upon me that I, I really can't explain. I had a very different worldview. I remember the first times I would delve back into sin, the first time a foul word came out of my mouth, the first time I got angry or fell into lust again. It was just a very different experience. All of a sudden, there was this thing in my heart that I wasn't quite sure how to explain. It was guilt. It was a loathing for sin. And, and I didn't want to do the things that I had previously enjoyed. And it wasn't that I completely stopped doing them all at once, but now there was something happening in my heart. And I did not go back to school intending to change my set of friends. It just kind of happened. All of a sudden, people didn't want to, certain people did not want to associate with me anymore. And other people did associate with me. Um, I didn't know much at that point, but I knew that Mamre taught me that I should go to church. And I just walked up to a, a friend in my PE class and uh, David Hudson and said, Hey, uh, man, I just became a Christian. I need to go to church. Uh, I know you go to church. Can I go to church with you? He said, I'll ask my mom and dad. <clears throat> and so they just came and, and they started picking me up and bringing me to Calvary Chapel, Anaheim. And, and then it was just kind of from there. Um, but it wasn't like that was the first time I repented my life. In fact, truth be told, that was the beginning of many sins to come and many repentances to come. Uh, I, would, I could have never guessed in a million years that my bigger sins and my biggest repentances were in my future. There were things that I could not... I can't do this yet. 
there was just a... I'm sorry, a love in my future. That a 14-year-old could not quite comprehend yet. I knew that the Lord loved me. I knew that I... Um, that I love the Lord. Um, but what kind of sins can a 14-year-old really commit i mean yeah there were a lot of a lot of sins but um as as those of you who are older know sins get more complicated when you get older right and it's no longer just you and your parents now it's you and a girlfriend or it's you and a wife and it's you and kids and it's now you being a pastor it's now you trying to shepherd uh, people who are also sinners. And what God began to work in my life <clears throat> by his grace at 14. I've seen. Um, I guess it would be. Yeah, about um, 37 years. Of repentances. As I know, um, as many or most of you in this room can testify, thank you, there's passages of Scripture that mark off, you know, periods of my life, right? Matthew 18 or... um, Ephesians um, 5 or um, and I'm sure all, you know most of you in this room can relate <clears throat> as you're reading through the Bible you get to certain passages of scripture and it just marks off a period in your life that God brought about a fresh wave of his grace <clears throat> and repentance and we just go from grace to grace. And so part of the uh, motive <clears throat> for this sermon is to talk about <clears throat> what exactly is the nature of repentance, both kind of before a person gets saved <clears throat> and at conversion, and then what is happening as we repent throughout our lifetime. Repentance is a, it's a tricky doctrine, One of the reasons why I was motivated to preach this sermon is because it seems like I'm always running into people and I can relate with this um, who 
are asking questions like, how do I know that I've repented enough? Um, what, I'm not feeling the sorrow. You're, you're up there crying, Pastor Mike, and I just don't get those kind of tears. Is that good enough? Um, I don't feel the weight of my sin the way I hear other people talk about their sin. Is that good enough? We look at the scriptures and we see people who seem like they repent and then we find out later on that wasn't true repentance. And so what is true repentance? What is what are the marks of repentance um, and so on? And so <clears throat> so what I propose to do in this series is to to kind of introduce us to this doctrine with the hopes um, that will grow in our repentance and our joy will grow as well. So what I'm going to attempt to cover this morning is really we're going to do an overview of repentance with kind of four subtopics. We're going to talk about the meaning of repentance, mistakes about repentance, marks of repentance, and what we're going to title the means of repentance. And so let's first of all talk about meaning of repentance. And we'll start with a definition, and then we're going to look at a particular passage of Scripture. You can open up to Ezekiel 36. That's the passage that we'll be developing this meaning from, although there's lots of passages we could look at. I'm getting this definition from a writer named Thomas Watson who wrote a book, a wonderful book called Repentance, about 300 years before I was born, 1668. And um, Thomas Watson's work on this subject is really amazing. And his definition for me really rings true, but I want to see if we can bear it out in Scripture. He defines it this way. I'll say this a few different times. Let me, let me first say that uh, I want you to, say, to think about this idea that repentance equals change. If you don't get anything else, just remember repentance equals change. And change is something that happens on the part of God. We'll define what we mean by that, but it also is something that happens on our parts. So repentance at its base level, if you were to look at the DNA of repentance, it's change. But Thomas Watson defines repentance in this way. Repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. I'm going to say that a few times. We're going to break that apart. Repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Let's break that apart. Grace, repentance is grace. Look at verse 21 in our chapter. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. 
Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nation shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I hallow you, when I am hallowed in you before my eyes, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Look down at verse 32. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Brothers and sisters, what God is doing in this text is grace for the house of Israel. He is giving a gift to Israel that they don't clearly they do not deserve. Would you agree from our text? They've profaned the name of Yahweh. They clearly do not deserve what is what we're going to read about in this text. But God is doing it. The Lord is doing it for his namesake. For Israel. Notice how many times in this text we see I will, I will, I will, I will. And then verse 36, I, the Lord, have spoken it. I will do it. And so repentance is a grace. But it's also a grace that comes from somewhere, and that's from God's spirit. It's a grace of God's spirit. Look at verse 27. I will put my spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you. We see this type of language all over the Bible, but particularly you see it all over the prophets. Think of Zechariah 12.10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit, I think is the right reading, the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn. He will pour out on the house of David a spirit, the Holy Spirit of grace. And so repentance is a grace that emanates from God's spirit. And to further this definition, it's a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner. We're talking about sinners. If you're not a sinner, you don't need the grace of repentance. If you're not a sinner, you don't need the grace of repentance from God's spirit. But notice the language that's all over this text before us. Verse 22 to 24, what do we see? Profaned my name, profaned, profaned, profaned. 
Verse 25, we see filthiness, idolatry. Verse 26, heart of stone. Verse 29, uncleanness. Verse 31, evil ways, iniquities, abominations. Verse 33, iniquities. On one level, you, look, you read this text, and this is a very negative text. It's talking about sin, iniquity, abomination, transgressions. But repentance is a grace of God's spirit for the sinner. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, but for whom? The sinners. The woman who came and washed Jesus's feet, she loved much because she sinned much. So repentance is a grace of God's spirit, whereby a sinner, what happens is inwardly humbled. What does the spirit do? What does repentance accomplish? There's a inward humbling. Look at verse 26. I will give, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. So he's putting in a new heart. And what happens with this new heart? Look down at verse 31. Then you will remember your what? Not just remember that everything's good. Not just remember that the fruit now that the Lord's brought into your life and all of the blessings. Not just remember that you're a new creation. Not just remember that you're now, you know, a new creation in Christ. These are all things that are products of repentance. But one of the works that the Spirit does in the heart of a sinner is brings about an inward humbling. You will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Repentance is a grace that comes from God's spirit that produces in the heart of a sinner an inward humbling. A remembrance of sin and a loathing for sin. Before I, I was 14, I, I had there was all types of times where I would kind of feel bad about my sin. And, and especially if I got caught. Right. <laughs> I don't want to. Well, I, I guess I will get into some gory details. I remember uh, this was probably no more than a month before I was regenerated. But I was in my bed in the morning. We had to be at my high school for band practice at something like 630 in the morning, I think. And my dad walked into my room, asked me if I wanted a ride to school. And I said, no. And the reason I said no is I had already been planning to go to Alpha Beta to shoplift. And that's why I didn't want to ride to school. And so I go to Alpha Beta and I'm walking up and down the aisle, sticking things in my, <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this, other than the fact that I'm a sinner, right? And then... But I feel I don't feel any guilt whatsoever about the things I'm taking pens. Chips, I don't you know, it's just weird. And um, but one thing I couldn't see is it was 
it was the type of year, time of year where it's dark outside, but lights are on inside. And what does that do to the windows? It's, it's kind of creates a mirror effect. I can't see the security guy that's looking right down the aisle at me. And so as I head out, I, I skip by the pay aisle and I feel this hand come down on my shoulder. And I thought knee knocking was something you just saw in cartoons. My knees were knocking. And suddenly this sense of guilt and remorse came over me. Right. But what kind of fruit did the guilt and remorse? I'm going to tell you exactly what happened here. I did start to cry because I'm prone that direction. (laughs) Right. And then I talked about how my dad was literally going to kill me. And so I was throwing my dad under the bus, making him sound like a child abuser. And um, and they were, hey, we want to call the police. We want to call your dad. And finally, we compromised and they they called my mom. And so. So then my stepmom comes, picks me up and on the way home, I kid you not, here's what I literally said. And I don't even know if this is true. I I don't think you'll have to ask her. But I said, Michelle does it all the time. And I'm the one that gets caught. I'm just making, I was just making that up out of whole cloth, right? If I'm going down, everybody's going down with me. I don't know much, but I want to propose to you that that was not biblical repentance. But I did feel, right? I felt really bad about my sin when I got caught. But there was something that, completely changed when all of a sudden I became born again is there were things that were going on in my life where nobody was around and I'm feeling a loathing and a remembrance of sin. And there were sins at times that were going on in my life that nobody saw except for the Lord. And yet I found myself crying in my room by myself out to the Lord. Because of sin. Right. And and there were times where I would see victory and other times I would see falling and some of the sins I was dealing with. Nobody else knew about, but there was a loathing and there was a repentance and a loathing and a crying out. And this was a I I really believe this. This was a work of the spirit that God was humbling me, doing something that I could not have done for myself. And so repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed, visibly reformed. Where do we get that from the text? We'll look at verse 27, for instance. So the Lord in verse 26 takes out, he puts a new heart. A new spirit takes out the heart of stone, heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to what? Walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And so the Lord comes along and causes us to walk. Walking is something that is visible. Observance and keeping is something that's visible that there's a change that happens in a person's life 
where now they're walking in a way where people look at them and they say, something different is going on here. I don't think this necessarily means that a person is perfect in their repentance and perfect in their walking. But something is happening here because this is a grace of God. And notice that, you know, that for Israel, this doesn't this isn't just a heart thing, but it's very, very, very visible for what God is promising to Israel that we get the spillover of today as Gentiles. Verse 28, then you shall dwell in the land. This is the land they were kicked out of because of their sins. That I gave to your fathers. This is Abraham covenant stuff. This is this is unilateral grace. You shall be my people. I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. These are very tangible promises to Israel that are visible. And in the same sense that God will work these visible promises to Israel in the millennium. We get the spillover. We get we're, we're like the uh, the early comers of the new covenant. As those who are in this church, in the church. We get the visible manifestations of the spirit. We walk, we keep God's word. We're doing things that just we haven't we don't understand why we're able to do these things. Um, we'll qualify this in a moment, but I think those of you who are born again, you know what I'm talking about that. Um, again, I had a lot of repentance ahead of me when I was 14, I had 37 more years of repentance ahead of me. Um, but people that knew me, I've got a good buddy on Facebook who I used to be in the marching band with and we played tennis and he watched me destroy tennis racket after tennis racket and he watched the profanity come out of my mouth as we talked about different things and but when the god spirit came into me and granted me repentance and i got this new life thing my buddy was like you're different and he still continued to hang out with me. But whenever unbelievers would come into our little circle, it was very clear who his allegiances were with. He would talk the game with me. But if unbelievers came into our circle, he let profanity fly to make sure everybody knew I'm not with this guy. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about, right? Most of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. When when you're flying the flag of Christ because the spirit has done a work in your life, uh, your flag attracts others who are carrying the same flag. And so this is this is what we mean. So repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled, visibly reformed is what Thomas Watson has argued. It's interesting. I, I would encourage you guys to pick up his book, or you can find it online. He actually repented of keeping this booklet stuffed in his desk. He says in his introduction that he had thought about just shoving it down in his desk and never letting it see the light of day, but then he has decided differently. So he changed his mind about his book on repentance, pulled it out and published it, and the church has been benefiting it from it 
ever since. Let me let me flesh out a couple other things here before we move on. And is we can also say that repentance is fundamentally about change, right? Repentance equals change, change of mind, as we're going to look at some of the terms here in a moment. When we say change of mind, we're, we're also talking about a turning of the heart, a reorientation of the will. In today's terminology, we might say it's a radical change of worldview. It's instantaneous at our conversion, and yet repentance happens over a lifetime in the hearts of God's children. True repentance, I want to suggest, is always miraculous in the sense that it involves God gracing us by a movement of his will upon our wills with what Spurgeon calls a sweet spiritual persuasion. I just love that sweet spiritual persuasion. And what Spurgeon is after there is really answering the question, how do any of us repent? when our hearts are bent against the Lord, right? I mean, you guys know, right? James, one of the passages that's just been troubling me lately is in James 4, where God, you know, James says, God gives grace, he resists the proud, right? But gives grace to the what? Humble. Okay, the last part of that equation, I understand. God giving grace to the humble, that makes sense to me. If I humble myself, God gives me grace. The first part of it, God resists the proud. The big thing that's been bugging me is how do I get from the proud place to the humble place? And if God's resisting me, what what am I going to do? Right? Because I don't know about you, but my default disposition is Jonah. All right. God says, go do that. And I'm like running to Tarshish. So what am I going to do if I'm in the business of, by default, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm from West Virginia and my roots, or is it because of the Bakersfieldian in me? But I'm <laughs> defaulted towards Jonah, right? So what am I going to do? The amazing thing to me is that God can take his children who so many times have proud hearts And the miracle is that God's gracing us moment by moment, moving his will upon our wills with a sweet spiritual persuasion. The older I get, the more I'm starting to realize that part of God's resistance of the proud, at least when it comes to his children, is that he's going to break them down for their good. He breaks down my pride. I've seen it over and over again throughout my lifetime. I well up with pride. He breaks it down. I well up with pride again. He breaks it down. He doesn't violate my will. He sweetly persuades me to do what I want to do because he makes me want it. That's the way that Spurgeon talks about it. It's the way that many of our heroes of the faith talk about it. We may have to come back to some of these other terms. It, part of the challenge in the doctrine of repentance is, is the English word repent carries 
with a certain connotations, right? I don't know if you if you guys feel this way, but especially today, when you hear the word repent, do you think of something positive or negative? It's negative. It's a negative word, right? And then in our society, you hear the word repent. It's not just negative. It's kind of like this weird kind of crazy TV evangelist word, right? Repent. That's the way we think of the English. You must repent, right? And, and so we have a weird association with the word repent, especially if you didn't grow up in the church like me, right? If you didn't grow up in the church, repent rings weird in the ear, especially when you're talking to unbelievers. What further complicates it is, is the word repent is often the one translation for about five different words of Hebrew and Greek which leads to some of the confusion about the doctrine of repentance, I think. When you get to Hebrew, you've got a word that basically means almost like to regret or sigh. It's, it's one of these onomatopoietic words. You know, like groan? Like groan is kind of like that. It's like groan, right? And in Hebrew, you have naham. It's like nah, right? Naham. That's, the, that's one of the Hebrew words for repent. It's really literally it's like to sigh or groan. And it's the same word that God uses when he says that he's sorry that he made man on the earth. Like, <laughs> like, I'm sorry that I made Saul king. Ugh. Right. That's kind of what that word means. But the, the, the larger word is this word in, in the Hebrew, which literally means to turn or return. It's a radical change of attitude. A radical change of mind or attitude. And it depends on the object, on whether it's about sin or God or this or that. It's the same word in that same passage where God's like, I'm sorry I made Saul to be king. Saul is saying to um, Samson, please return to me so I might worship the Lord. That's our word, repent or return. Then you get to the, the New Testament and you've got other, other words that mean sometimes to repent or to regret you've got the like judas he just kind of the word that's used for him he regrets he has remorse but not a true repentance um you have conversion i don't want to get too off on this but then you just track the word through church history when it gets translated into latin it gets mistranslated so many of the medieval fathers are translating it do penance uh, Luther finally figures this out and says, that's wrong. It's not do, pen do penance. He translates it in the German the right way, which is basically a change of mind. I don't know what the German word is. It's like, <laughs> you know, something like that. And, but he basically translates it as change of mind, which is the right way. But then Tyndale comes along in English, and he picks up a Latin word that's the basis for our English word, repent, which carries in some of that penance grief idea again. When you take repent, the English word, back to its Latin roots, it basically means to have grief over, which is not the Greek idea. Are you confused yet? And so, so that's part of some of these debates and wars over repentance sometimes have to do with the fact that we've got this word repent which in our modern day has a weird religious TV evangelist sound to it 
that doesn't completely accurately translate the idea of a change of mind or change of attitude. And so it's important for us to keep that in mind and repent of our word repent. It's not a bad word. It's not necessarily a bad word as long as we give it the right definition. Repentance equals change. And then the object is what determines what kind of change we're talking about. Let's get into some mistakes of repentance. So again, just by way of review up to this point, what we've talked about is that repentance, by definition, from Ezekiel and other places, it's it's really a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is humbled inwardly and visibly reformed. The spirit moves this change of mind upon us, causes us to loathe our sin, remember our sin, and then look to Christ. But let's talk about some mistakes about repentance. I'm going to run through these fairly quickly. All of us can fall into mistakes both as a, in a pre-conversion sense, but also as Christians, we can have mistakes in our understanding of repentance. And some of these mistakes, the Lord can just use on the path. When I was 14, my repentance was not perfect, right? But I called on the Lord and the Lord looked down and saw me and was gracious. Um, on the other hand, some repentances can be damning. And so we need to make sure that we understand what biblical repentance really is. So uh, let me just run through a few. We'll call one of these the fear or fearing Felix problem, fearing Felix. The idea is this, that we equate fear with repentance. Now, fear, God may use fear to get someone to a change of mind, but fear does not equal a change of mind, i.e. Felix. Remember, Paul comes and he preaches before Felix, and Felix in the old King James trembled. And then what does he say? Uh, go away and come back another time, <laughs> right? So fear isn't equivalent to repentance. It, you may shake this morning. You might shake in your boots underneath the preaching of God's word and then run right out of here and go off and get drunk, right? You might fear and say, oh, I, I really want to be different now. And you might go for the next month and try to reform your ways because you feared and it may have no change on you whatsoever. So fear could lead us to repentance, but it's not equivalent to repentance. Another mistake is what we can call the Ahab mistake. The Ahab mistake. This would be like equating uh, humility, fasting, and mourning with repentance. Remember Ahab, it was pronounced that he was going to die because of the Naboth situation, the Naboth controversy with the vineyard, right? And it said that basically you're going to die and dogs are going to lick up your blood. Children, I'm sure that that's in all of your children's Bible stories about the um, Ahab dying and the blood being licked up. But what does Ahab do before Elijah takes off? He tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth and fasts. And God actually does respect this repentance and sends Elijah back and says, OK, I'm going to. I see your humility here. But then three years go by. Everything's forgotten. He goes off in the battle with 
uh, Jehoshaphat in, in unrepentance, totally despising the prophets and Micaiah, goes out and a random arrow, boom, hits him in between the armor and he dies and the dogs lick up his blood. So was his repentance true repentance? No. No, this guy tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth. He fasted. And yet that was not biblical repentance. Let's talk about another type of repentance, tears. I've been crying tears this morning, right? Maybe my tears are true repentance. I could be up here doing crocodile tears for all you know. Maybe I'm just a good actor, right? Uh, I'm sure you guys have met people that you've interfaced with that very, maybe very sincerely. I, I've, I remember crying my own tears at 12, 13. I cried at Alpha Beta, right? When the security put his hand on my shoulder, I cried real tears. They were not fake. I was scared to death. I knew I was going to die, right? When, my, when I heard the garage door go up, when my dad came home, I began to cry, right? But is that repentance? Hosea 7.14, this is another book that I'd commend to you. Hosea is, it's a primer on repentance. False repentance, true repentance, God granting repentance, freely giving grace. Hosea 7.14 says this, They, that is Ephraim slash Israel, do not cry to me from their heart when they wail on their beds. Israel's wailing on their beds. And God says, nah, I don't, I don't believe it. So you can wail on your bed and that cannot really be repentance. How about confession? Surely confession of sin equals repentance, right? What did Saul say in 1 Samuel 15 when he's confronted with the Agag incident? Sam, he says to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words. And then later he says, please pardon my sin and return with me. Was Saul's repentance true repentance? Yeah, we know from the text that it wasn't. He confessed sin. He seemed to acknowledge when he was caught with Agag and all the sheep. What are these bleeding of sheep in my ears? So you have the fear of Felix. You have the Ahab problem. You have the tears of Israel. You have confession. What's left? How about restitution? Works of restitution. You know, Judas... He betrayed Christ, got 30 pieces of silver. And if anybody did works of repentance, it was Judas. Don't you think this guy went before the very people who he had sold Christ to threw the money on the ground and and said, I have sinned against innocent blood. They're like, "What, what does that have to do with us? This guy looked like a true penitent, didn't he? He's, he's even getting rid of the blood money. Doesn't want to have anything to do with the blood money. But what happens? You guys know the story. Instead of like Peter looking to Christ and being drawn back by Christ, he goes off and what? Hangs himself. Commits suicide. True repentance? No. Jesus said before all this went down, 
It'd be better if that guy wasn't even born. This guy who went out to betray Christ. So all of these things that could appear to be fruit of repentance, actually, upon further investigation, if they're left by themselves, they fall short. It's not that these things are, is it bad to have a fear? Is it bad to be humble and fast and mourn and cry tears and confess sins and do restitution? No, those all seem to have the earmarks of the fruit of repentance, right? There's one thing they lack. Grace. They lack grace. You can do all of that stuff, but if the Spirit does not enter the heart and begin to work that stuff from God... Through his grace, they're merely works of the flesh. That's the thing that distinguishes between biblical repentance and mere works of the flesh. Let me just talk about two other mistakes and then we'll move on to our third point. And that is that sometimes people can feel... This idea, I don't feel my sinfulness enough. I can't really repent because I don't feel sinful enough. I need to feel more sin before I can truly repent. Now, Spurgeon says it is possible for a man to repent without a terrific display of terrors of the law. Some people will hear the thunderings of the law and the spirit will use that to drive them to Christ. Other people like Lydia, they just hear the gospel and they call upon Christ. Spurgeon says some God opens with the picklock of grace, some with the crowbar of the law. It can go cut both ways. Don't think that you have to wait to feel the same sort of sinfulness of somebody else in this church before you repent. Truth be told, um, we've all had different types of lives, and especially some of us that have grown up in the church and grown up under the preaching of the gospel may have a different sense of their past sinfulness. And you may not have the sense now that you will have when you're 50. Don't Look at me at 51 and say, I need to cry about my sin the way Pastor Mike does. Well, wait 37 years and you probably will. All right. But when you're young in the faith, it's it's just like, you know, Jesus says it, it, it's just a mustard seed of faith that saves us. Right. Repentance is the other side of the coin. It doesn't take a mountain load of repentance for us to be accepted by our Lord. Repentance is the other side of the coin of faith. You have conversion, right? Faith, repentance, two sides of a coin. It's just a germ of repentance that the Spirit grants. And that repentance grows over a lifetime. So don't think that you have to have a grand sense of the terrors called. It's really the, the, the meritorious ground of our salvation is not our repentance. It's Christ's blood. We come from a sinking sand foundation. The spirit grants us repentance and faith. And we come over to a firm foundation of the blood of Christ. We go from sinking sand 
Conversion is the movement from sinking sand, dead works, Hebrews 6.1. We repent and believe and come over to the firm foundation. The meritorious ground of our salvation is the blood of Christ. That's what saves the blood of Christ. It's a movement from one foundation to the other foundation. Related to that mistake is we can think that I I don't repent enough. I don't have enough penitence. My but brothers and sisters, your repentance will never be perfect. Repentance is never perfect in any man. We will never be free from some hardness of heart. Repentance is a lifelong act. That's why Jesus says in Revelation 319, as many as I love, I what I rebuke. And chasten, therefore, be zealous and repent. As many as I love, I rebuke. Brothers and sisters, you're going to be getting love till the day you die. And part of the way that Jesus loves us is he rebukes us and chastens us all the way to our death. And so we will be repenting all the way to our death. And so repentance is a grace of God not the meritorious grounds of salvation. That might be hard for you to grapple with right now. Hold on. We'll work through the series if you're not quite getting that point. Let me read a couple quotes here on dealing with this whole question of mistakes. See, it's Spurgeon, my, should I say it? My homeboy says this, learn this lesson not to trust Christ because you repent, but trust Christ to make you repent. Not to come to Christ because you have a broken heart, but to come to him that he may give you a broken heart. Not to come to him because you are fit to come, but to come to him because you are unfit to come. Your fitness is your unfitness. Your qualification is your want of qualification. You are to be nothing, in fact, and to come to Christ as nothing. And when you so come, then uh, will repentance come. That's, a, that's an excellent, excellent point. Thomas Watson makes a similar observation. Only Christ's blood can merit pardon. We please God by repentance, but we do not satisfy him by it. To trust in our repentance is to make it a savior. Therefore, do not idolize repentance. Do not rest on this, that your heart has been wounded for your sin. Rather, rest on the fact that your Savior has been wounded for your sin. That's why so many of our hymns pick this theme up. You'll see this in hymn after hymn on the doctrine of repentance and the finished work of Christ. For instance, my hope is built on Nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. Our ground is the blood of Christ. Christ grants us repentance. We trust in Christ who gives us repentance of his grace. Let's talk about the marks of repentance. We've already mentioned them really in our definition. How do you know 
that you have the marks or attributes of biblical repentance. Well, let me just quickly ask you a few questions. Are you sensing the movement of God's grace in your life? This undeserved favor in your heart. Are you sensing the hand of almighty God saying, I will, I will, I will, I will. Are you sensing the movement of, of the Holy Spirit? This promise that the Spirit will be poured out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and then the buy-in that the whole church gets. The Spirit of grace that utters forth in supplication and that when we look upon Christ whom we've pierced, it brings about a mourning. Do you sense God's grace through the Holy Spirit in your heart? Do you feel yourself to be a sinner? Do you not just know it intellectually, but have you experienced in your heart that you are a sinner? See, Spurgeon tells the story in another work called The Wicked Gate of a doctor who gave a villager a prescription to go take some medicine to get his ailment healed. And the villager didn't know any better and took the prescription and ate it. And comes back to the doctor a week later, later, still sick. And the doctor said, why are you still sick? Where's the prescription for the medicine that I just gave you? And he says, I I ate it. He goes, well, that's not the purpose of the prescription. You're You're supposed to take it to the doctor, get the pills and take the pills. Right. We can know intellectually we can have the prescription that says you are a sinner. But if you just know that intellectually, but. You haven't gone on the path of seeing and feeling that you are a sinner. There's a difference, right? It's it's the same difference of me explaining honey to you and you tasting honey for yourself. If the spirit is operating in you, if you have the grace of the Holy Spirit, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is he convicts of sin, righteousness and judgment. And when a person's heart is being moved by the spirit towards a change of mind towards repentance, there will become an awareness. You will begin to remember and loathe your sins. And brothers and sisters, if you are remembering and loathing sins, that is not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes people get depressed, even believers get depressed. And, and the advice that sometimes people get is appalling. Go to a movie distract yourself do this do that we're the most medicated culture in the history of the world and yet the spirit is trying to bring about a conviction in the heart of unbelievers and getting christians to remember and loathe themselves so that we have a greater love for christ and we medicate ourselves So one of the marks of repentance is grace. It's a spirit. It's understanding that we're a sinner. And, and, and does that bring about into, you, into your heart an inward humility? Do you find yourself being humbled? Again, we're not talking about at, that you've been completely humbled. There's a journey, right? Do you see the Holy Spirit humbling you? Do you find yourself sinning? And then the spirit's conviction comes over you. And even though it's hard, 
you're able to cry out to the Lord for help and confess that sin to the person you sinned against. That's a good mark of repentance, right? That you're doing something that you just don't find yourself normally doing. I've seen brothers and sisters in this very body who've been sinned against severely. And then the Holy Spirit will break down their heart. And I've watched you turn to someone who sinned against you. And you've said, I forgive you. That's amazing. Visible transformation. Are you seeing a visible transformation in your life? Are other people looking at you and saying, I see God's work in your life. These are all marks of repentance. Now, again, true repentance doesn't entail a full and complete knowledge of our sin. We're never going to have a full, complete knowledge of our sin until we get to heaven. Right. When I was 14 and I and asked the Lord to forgive me, how much of my sin did I know? How much of my sin do I know now? And, and, and still as believers, even though we have the mind of Christ, it doesn't change the fact that we still have this this indwelling sin that that's why, you know, the writer of Hebrews says that we need to be careful. We need to exhort one another daily, lest any one of you believers become hardened. Believers can, can become hardened through the what deceitfulness of sin. True believers can become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's why we need to exhort one another, which is involved in our ongoing daily repentance. Let's talk last of all about means. Means to repentance. How do I repent? How do we receive the gift of repentance? How does this happen? Let me make a few suggestions here. First of all, ask for it. If it's a grace, if it's a gift, you can ask for gifts, right? Yeah. If if you ask for a fish, will your father give you a serpent? If you're truly his child and you're asking, Lord, Lord, grant me repentance. Do you think the Lord's going to fold his arms and say, nah, I'm not going to do that. No, he wants to. He loves it when we come and ask him for repentance and ask him for those kinds of gifts. And so ask your father for repentance. Ask him for it daily. Ask him to change your attitude. Ask him to change your heart, your emotions. Ask him to change your will. We talk so much about free will and God's sovereignty. You know what? I just want God to change my will. I don't whatever the issue. I want his will to change my will. Bottom line, right? I don't care if I have free will. I want his will in my life. Ask for it. Seek it. Secondly, seek it. Don't do like the uh, Ephraim or the Israelites in Hosea 7.13. They ran away from God. Don't run from him. If you have if you have a moment, you can either listen or turn over to Hosea. Um. 14, that primer on repentance. Where in Hosea 14, it's just a amazing. Hosea is one of the most graphic, disturbing books. And then you get to chapter 14 where the Lord says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. 
for my anger has turned away from him. I will be like a dew to Israel, and he shall grow like the lily. And the look, look down at verse 8. Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? I have heard and observed. I am like a cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Where do we get the fruits of repentance? He says it's found in me. We abide in the vine and that produces the fruit of repentance. How can I seek it? Look to Christ. Look to the bronze serpent that was raised in the wilderness. Look to Christ in the scriptures. See him in the garden. See him look compassionately at Peter when Peter had denied him. See Christ carrying the cross on your behalf. See Christ stumbling in the dirt as Simeon picks it up for him because he really is a man and weak. As the hymn we sing, see the soldiers nail him down and see him allow himself to be nailed down so that he can save them. Hear Jesus cry out, Eloi, Eloi, sabak, lama sabachthani, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Look to Christ, who is the meritorious ground for our repentance. And if we look to Christ, our repentance will no doubt grow. We cannot look to our Savior and not well up through the Spirit with an appreciation for his love for us as sinners who do not deserve that love. And we love him because why? He first loved us. The more we get his love in us, the more that's going to produce love in us, breeding repentance. And then finally, believe it, ask for it, seek it, believe it. Believe that repentance is a gift and God is in the business of dispensing gifts. The tears, your tears draw the Lord's compassion, but they have no merit in them. For even your tears are acid and poison without the blood of Christ to wash them. The hymn, sa- hymn writer says, could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no respite? No, these for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone in my hand. No price I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or what? Or I die. Ask for repentance. Seek it. Look to Christ. Believe it. You know, if, if it weren't for the doctrine of the sweet spiritual persuasion. If it weren't for the doctrines of Romans 8. That God works all things together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. Whom he called. You guys know how it goes, right? For those whom he foreknew. He what predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called. Those he called, these he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is called the unbreakable gold chain of salvation, the Orda Salutis. You have God from eternity past on into the future, 
calling his children, glorifying his children. You look at this text and you're like, where's repentance? Where is it? Where's our part? We'll read on verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, his children, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's where repentance is. Verse 32. He freely gives us all things. Salvation is of God beginning to end. And he gives you and he gives me repentance. If God didn't give me repentance, I would not repent. My heart was stone. I was adamant against God, flint. But God, by his grace, brought the spirit and poured out, took out a heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, gave me a a loathing for my own sin and a desire to love and follow Christ. How does that happen? How is it that when I am proud and God is resisting, how is it that I get to a place of humility? All of us were once in the same place of those in 2 Timothy. We'll finish here. Turn to 2 Timothy. This is where we prayed and where we began. You and I have every reason to be humble towards other people that we're talking to, people that we're sharing Christ with, Why do we have reasons to be humble? Again, look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, starting verse 24. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in meekness, correcting those who are in opposition. And that word opposition, that's a strong Greek word. That means these are people that are going forehead to forehead with Christ. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Why? If God perhaps will grant them repentance. Repentance was granted to every true child of God in this room. Repentance will be granted to anybody in this room who calls upon the name of the Lord. No one can come to the Father, right? No one can come uh, to Christ unless the Father draws him. But whoever comes to Christ, Jesus says, I will no wise cast out. If you come to Christ this morning and you call upon him, he will grant you repentance. That's no doubt. You call upon him, he will save you. But God is the one who grants repentance. And finishing the thought, so that they, we'll just say us, so that we may know the truth We don't know the truth because we're so smart. We know the truth because God gave us a change of mind. He changed our attitude. He changed our heart. He changed our will. Verse 26, that they may come to their senses, just like the prodigal son did, and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive to do his will. Let's just get down to brass tacks right here. You and I... We're all captives of the devil doing his will. You weren't doing your will. You thought you were doing your will, but you were doing the devil's will. You were captive to him. 
And some of us in this room are still doing the devil's will. You are captive to the devil. You think you are doing your will, but you are not. You are in bondage to your sin and you are blinded to your sin. But let me just say that we have a God who is in the business of raising people from the dead, of opening eyes and of granting repentance and through a sweet spiritual persuasion where he does not make you do something against your will. He will make you do something because you want to do it because he imparts to you new life. Repentance comes to people who have been imparted new life by the spirit of God. And God's in the business of, of, of giving that stuff out. If you would call upon him today, if you have not yet been saved, maybe you've gone through the motions of repentance. Maybe you feel like you're not sinful enough. Maybe you don't feel like you felt God's wrath enough. It doesn't, it's not based on any of that. It's based on the finished work of Christ. If you call upon Jesus today, you can be saved because God's in the business of giving that out. You just call to him. Those of us who are believers in this room, we, we have every reason to be encouraged. He who began the good work in us, right? He began the work of repentance. He will what? Complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. Probably our best repentance will be on our deathbed. If you know Christ, if you know Christ Jesus, and you're about ready to step over into the next life, that's when you'll probably have your best view of sin in this life. You're about ready to go into the next. And God's in the business of dishing out repentance all throughout our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just trust. Lord, it is not through the vehicle of the prophets or preachers in this day that repentance is affected and faith is granted. It is through your spirit. And while we have sat underneath the preaching of your word this morning, we are not deceived to think that we can just simply go through an intellectual exercise and come to a knowledge of the truth, but we need your spirit to illumine the truths that we have seen this morning. We need your spirit to grant us this grace of repentance. We pray, Lord, that you would work in the heart of sinners. Lord, that there would be an inward humility, a loathing for sin, a remembering of sin, and yet a visible reformation that comes about by your spirit as we look to Christ and see the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world for sinners. We thank you, Lord, that our sin is what qualifies us for salvation. We thank you, Lord, that it does not depend upon him who runs or of him who wills, but of him who shows mercy. Yet you're in the business, Lord, of whoever shall believe in you can become your child. We pray, Lord, that you would grant these requests this morning by your grace. 
receive our offerings, Lord, that we give to you, that you would cause the gospel to go out from this local church. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.